When your father is the first man to summit Mount Everest, it's a pretty hard act to follow. But today's guest, Peter Hillary, shows us it's not how you stand on the summit with a flag, but it's how you pull yourself out of a crevasse that counts. I'm Dustin Planholt, founder and CEO of Life's Tough Media. This season of Life's Tough, but Explorers Are Tougher is made possible through the generous support of Ripple. We hope you enjoy the series. This is Life's Tough, but Explorers Are Tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. If you're new to Life's Tough, I'd like to welcome you and tell you a little about myself and the show. First of all, I love the outdoors. I always have, and I always will. And I've also been surrounded by explorers my entire life. My father, Richard Weiss Sr., was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. The New York Times called him the Lone Eagle of the Pacific. Some of my fondest memories were standing out on our lawn underneath the stars with my father telling me how explorers use the stars to navigate. I guess we talked about a few other things as well. And speaking of talking, I host a television show called Born to Explore. It's on PBS stations around the country, so please check it out. And finally, I've been president of the world-famous Explorers Club. Just about every great explorer of the 20th and 21st century has been a member, including Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jane Goodall, Theodore Roosevelt. Some people say it's like Harry Potter's Hogwarts, only for adults. I've heard stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, explorers are the type of people who walk in space, go to the bottom of the ocean, and stand on the highest summits. Scratch the surface of any explorer, and you'll find they're all storytellers. This show is about their tales. The year was 1953, and on the very morning that Queen Elizabeth II was to be crowned, a telegraph reaches London, the capital of the British Empire, that a British-led expedition had successfully summited Mount Everest. Ed Hillary and Tenzing Norgay were on the cover of every newspaper in the world. 37 years later, Peter Hillary stood on that same summit, thus becoming the first father and son to achieve Everest. Joining me today from New Zealand is Peter Hillary. Hi, Peter. How are you? Hi, Richard. Good to see you. You know, you must have a, a strange view of the world because during this uh, pandemic, New Zealand's been relatively unscathed, whereas um, I am unable to hug people. Even when I see my mother and father, it's socially distanced, a mask. And and you, you must have some interesting observations on the rest of the world. Well, look, we've been very fortunate in New Zealand. I, I guess the, the government has really listen to our scientists, uh, the medical community. And, um, you know, I mean, there's been a few grumblings. Um, international borders are closed, but life for the most part within the country is normal. It's very relaxed and we're able to get out and do lots of good stuff. But um, we're acutely aware of, of the impact 
that this disease has been having around the world and has the potential to continue to have too. So back to your first summit of Everest, your whole life, everybody who meets you probably wants to talk about Everest more or less outside of your small community. Did you feel sort of a weight off your back having finally achieved that summit? You know, I ne- initially, I never really thought about it in that way. But as time went by, I realized that to a degree I did. You see, when I was a young fellow and I, I got involved in mountaineering, I still didn't really think about Everest. That was dad's territory. But as my ambitions grew and the mountains got bigger and I moved my objectives to the Himalayas, Everest sort of came onto the horizon and... Uh, you know, as I attempted a number of difficult routes on the mountain, um, I, I knew I really I needed to stand on the top. So it, it did feel a, a certain amount of relief, but it was an incredible experience. In, in every industry, pilots get together. They talk about flying, you know, television. People talk about television. Your dad, obviously, in his very heart of hearts, is a guide. He is a mountain climber. It must have been wonderful to be able to share that summit. I mean, what were some of the things you guys talked about when you came down? Well, of course, I mean, Dad wasn't up there with me. I, I was up there on my own. Um, but we were the first two generations of one family to go there. The incredible thing was that, you know, this was the beginning of satellite telephones back in, in um, 1990. And uh, you couldn't carry the satellite telephone because it weighed 180 pounds. So you had to patch a walkie-talkie into the satellite telephone that was down at, at, at base camp. And I spoke to him that way. Our doctor down there was sort of, you know, clicking the walkie-talkie on and off so that we could have this conversation. But it was a rather delightful moment, you know, being connected and knowing that he knew right away what I was going through, what my concerns were, and I'm sure they were his too, uh, and that is getting yourself safely back down the mountain. It was a magical moment. You've told a funny story in the past, and this might have been your second uh, Everest climb, that you were set to do a live remote with CNN um, and that you were put on hold with your hands sort of in this position. And if anybody's ever been in the cold, when you have your hands raised, even with the lightest of little cell phones, your, your hand freezes. What happened on that one? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, National Geographic, who, who helped us with the expedition, had organized this interview with, with CNN. And um, they gave me, it was a special telephone number. And apparently they told me a journalist would be standing by the whole thing. And um, so I call the number, I hear it ringing. And this guy goes, CNN News. And I go, hello, it's uh, Peter Hillary calling from the summit of Mount Everest. And he just goes, who? <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, I guess you go, what do you have to do to get on to the CNN News, <laughs> even when they're allegedly being briefed? But, um, no, look, we, we eventually got our, our, um, our, our interview. The reality is, is my hands were freezing just, just holding that, that, that satellite phone there. And we then had to get on with that very important business, which is the summit is only halfway. You've got to get yourself back down to the bottom. Yeah, and that, that, that is for sure. You know, interestingly enough, I've been able to not only meet your dad and you, and one of the things that has struck me about the Hillary men 
is that you guys are like incredibly normal. And, and maybe there's something going on in the background that, you know, you do something kind of weird and funny, but do you think the fact that you guys were isolated in New Zealand for so many years made that difference? Uh, I mean, it's very difficult being the child of somebody super famous. Everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody wants to know you want to give you stuff. You don't necessarily trust everybody. How, how were you guys able to shelter yourself from that? Look, I think it's part of that. I think my father and I were reasonably grounded people. And I think part of that is the sort of the culture of living in New Zealand. And in New Zealand, there's a syndrome, which we often laugh about and cringe about, called the tall, tall poppy syndrome. syndrome. And if you, um, you know, if you really do swagger around too much, no one likes it at all. We, we like our heroes to be humble. Um, we like them to have their feet on the ground. It doesn't mean they're, they're not great people or doing really amazing stuff, but we want them to be relatable to, 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 the, to the average person. And I, I think my father, you know, of course, he was a product of the Second World War years and um, I guess coming out of the military of that time, that was really pronounced in him. He was a very grounded down-to-earth person who did incredible things with his life. Yeah, I mean, it it had to be crazy for your dad after climbing Everest that suddenly the Queen of England is knighting you. I mean, that's just got to be mind-blowing. Did, did he ever tell you stories about that experience? Oh, he did. And, of course, they, they were richly laced with all sorts of irascible activities, you know, loaning um, tuxedos in order to go to Buckingham Palace from someone else. And the, and, the, and the state of the garments was really not that good. Buttons were popping off and the jacket was sort of coming away at the back and, and all the rest of it. Um, but managing to pull it off and, um, you know, the incredible experience of meeting the, the new queen of, of England and, you know, kneeling down and the sword touching <laughs> you on the shoulder and, Rise, Sir Edmund. Um, incredible experience. Now, was he married at that point when he went to beat her? Um, no. He, um, he, he, we went straight from the expedition with John Hunt and the rest of the British expedition back to England where he was knighted. And in many ways, you know, look, it was almost like a fairy tale because he was deeply in love with this young woman called Louise Rose, but he didn't really feel that worthy. You know, he was working for his father in a beekeeper business. He was a, an occasional mountaineer, getting away to the mountains whenever he could. You know, was he worthy of this young woman? Well, he returned to New Zealand, Sir Edmund Hillary. And I think, you know, the proposal went down quite well and they immediately got married and they went on their honeymoon with their best man, dad's old climbing friend, George Lowe. They were a threesome traveling around the world lecturing about Everest. So it was an amazing time for them. Peter, listen, if I had a sir before my name, I would have been married 15 years earlier for sure. <laughs> I, I would have actually utilized that. But, you know, I, I guess that speaks volumes on who your dad was. But, you know, I also have this theory that people who are um, 
top mountain climbers at some point in their career were also guides. And guides inherently have to get along with people. And when I compare them, say, with astronauts, and um, I remember Scott Carpenter from one of the Mercury missions telling me that when you're training for a mission, everything is about you. Everybody is focused on you. It's about you. And then he says, when you get back, it's nothing's about you. So, yeah. you know, I know you took um, a very interesting voyage to the North Pole with your father and Neil Armstrong. That's got to be, you know, very different men. You know, I've met both. And that had to be, you know, a heck of an adventure. The first man on the moon, first guy on Everest. It was an incredible privilege. I was sort of a bit of an afterthought. Mike Dunn, who's this amazing organizer of journeys like that, um, you know, basically said to my father, you know, if you'd like to bring your son along, by all means. And so I got roped in. But to be up there, you know, up there in, in Baffin Island and, and up in Ellesmere Island and going to the North Pole in this small group of people in small aircraft and having Neil Armstrong and, and Ed Hillary, uh, we had Stephen Fawcett as well, uh, as, as your partners in the trip was an incredible experience. And it makes you realize the people factor is really what it's all about. Yes, we go out there and we do some remarkable things. We achieve extraordinary things, but it's the people component that really is the, the key. And to have shared that time with Neil and my father and, and Stephen uh, was an incredible honor. And I think I learned a lot from it. So Neil Armstrong is, uh, was famously sort of uh, uncomfortable with most people. Imagine that kind of setting who would have been very comfortable. What was the biggest difference you saw between your father and him? Well, look, I think, you know, one of my father's attributes really was, I think at an early stage, he decided that he was, he was public property. It's just what happens to you. It's not something he expected. He didn't even think about it. But when you have achieved something like that, you've got to acknowledge that you've been helped into that by becoming a member of the British expedition. Uh, you've been given an incredible opportunity. And so in a way you have a responsibility. So when someone would come up to him in the airport, he, he would just go, the easiest thing I can do is shake their hand, have a photograph, hear their little story about climbing some hillock in the backyard somewhere, and they go off feeling terrific, and you don't feel too bad either. And he was very gracious about it. Look, I think Neil, very intellectual, um, very private fellow. Um, and you're right. Um, I could see he felt, you know, perhaps a little awkward as we moved through the US and Canada up, up to the far north. But suddenly we were 10 people together in these little Quonset huts in far northern Ellesmere Island. And really, suddenly, everyone there, you just become one of the boys or the girls in the group. And Neil seemed very relaxed. He very generous in terms of talking about um, their experience going to the moon, his research into expeditions into the Arctic, and just being a member of the group. It was really a, an extraordinary time. No, I imagine. Now, I, I just, before I forget, I do want to mention that... Um, there is a, a new line of clothing called Edmund Hillary. And if someone goes to edmundhillary.com, they can see some of those clothes. I know they're not made for climbing Everest, 
but they are going towards something that was important to your father and I know is important to you, and that's the Himalayan Foundation. Yes, well, I mean, the, the line of clothing, it's, 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 it's basically premium heritage clothing. It's using lots of mostly natural fibers. Um, it is warm and robust, but it's ideal for going out on a cold Manhattan night to a restaurant, really. And it's, it's got a story to tell. It's Ed Hillary's clothing. It looks pretty sharp and it's very comfortable. And we give a percentage to the schools and hospitals uh, up in Nepal. And um, what we'll do is we'll provide a code to all the Explorers Club members so they can get a discount uh, and, and a, a certain amount of money can be paid to the Explorers Club as well. I know your father went on to do some work in Antarctica, but I, I think that people have always admired uh, that he was into giving back to a community before that was sort of fashionable. Your, your dad could have just cashed in on speaking engagements, commercials, whatever it is. He's, for God's sakes, on the money in New Zealand, which has got to be a, a strange experience. But it, it seemed like that was something within your father's DNA and, and in your DNA, that idea of making a, another group of people's life better. Look, I think it really was. And I, I look back at the history, in fact, of both sides of my family. They, they gave of their time to the community. They gave land to the community, you know, for parks or whatever. That history was there. And dad felt that very strongly. And as he developed his, his friendship with the, the Sherpa people up around the foot of Mount Everest, I think he quickly felt he really wanted to make a contribution because firstly, they asked him whether he could do that. And it started with one school and the petitions kept coming and the relationships kept growing. And in the end, it really became the work of his life, about 50 years of his life. And, and now it's become your work. I, I have to ask you a, a, a rumor that is so unrelated, but I've heard this more than once and I might have actually heard it from you. Hillary Clinton, I've heard more than once that she used to tell people and on a special trip, I think to South Asia, that she was actually named for your father. Have you ever heard that rumor? Well, yes, my father and my sister were in Kathmandu when, when Hillary Clinton was, was visiting Nepal and they met with her and they tell me that she said that, yes, she was, you know, because it's an unusual spelling. Most women's names are like H-I single L-A-R-Y and hers had two. And I think she was joking. She just said, well, of course, I was named for you for the, the, the first descent of Mount Everest. Of course, there's a, a slight problem yeah. with that is that she was born a number of years before dad climbed Everest. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it was, it was kind of a, lo a lovely little statement. And Peter, you and I share something special, and I'd like to think that when you go out and lecture and people ask you about the most dangerous thing that you ever uh, did, what, what do you usually tell them? Well, there's a number of things that come to mind, but I, I have no difficulty in telling you that quite often I tell them, believe it or not, it was not in the Himalayas. It was not in Antarctica. It was in none of those places. It was in New York City. And the president of the Explorers Club at the time, who happens to be Richard Weiss, actually. Um, so what was that, about 10, 15 years ago, you invited me for a cycle ride around Manhattan. I hired a bike, 
and I followed you, what is it, 25 miles around Manhattan, an incredible adventure with the final, um, the grand finale of, the, of our journey coming back up Park Avenue, weaving between the yellow taxi cabs of New York City and uh, narrowly missing people opening doors and all the rest of it. So, um, Well, good on you because, you know, a lot of people do get doored in, in Manhattan. It's happened to me. And uh, I remember that was before they had um, a bike trail. Now, now anybody can kind of do it in relative uh, safety. This is sort of like going over the Kumbu Ice Falls without a ladder, just sort of picking, picking your way through. Well, it definitely was, but it was a, a great day. So um, thanks for getting, getting me out there, Richard, and to the wilds of Manhattan. Well, I'd like to thank you too, Peter. Peter, listen, thank you for uh, being a guest on Life's Tough, but Explorers Are Tougher. I just want to remind everybody to go to Edmund Hillary, and it's H-I-L-L-A-R-Y.com. Uh, Look at fantastic clothing that... Peter Hillary himself says that you will look like the man or the woman in the streets of Manhattan. Peter, thanks for being a guest, and I hope to see you soon. Yeah, look, I hope so too. I hope the world opens up and we can all get together again. Thank you, Richard. All right. Every great expedition has to come to an end, but that doesn't mean we can't stay in touch. Send us your favorite expedition pictures and tell us about your most memorable journeys, large or small. All right, get something to write with. Here are my coordinates. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. One more time, www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. That's it for today. Hope to see you out on the trail.